Hello and welcome to Studs Up, the podcast diving in with two feet to tackle all of the hot topics in the footballing world. My name is Alex Burrow and I'll be your host. Joining me, as always, are two passionate football fans and, of course, two very good friends, Mr. Dylan Rowe. Hello. And Mr. Lachlan Woodley. Hey. How's your holiday break, guys? What you get up to? Not much. Really. Yeah, not much. <laughs> just sort of chilled out. You know, just, just had some time off to relax, do nothing. So That's just a normal day for you, isn't it, Dylan? Yeah, but it felt different because it was around Christmas time. So, yeah. <laughs> just felt different. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Bit, with a bit more food, I guess. Mm. Yeah, that too. Yeah, awesome. Well, we hope that you too had an exciting and relaxing Christmas and New Year break, taking in as much of the football action as possible. Well, on today's show, we're going to be embarrassing ourselves a little bit by making some bold predictions for the year that lies ahead in football. A lot's happened since we last recorded Studs Up before Christmas, so we don't really have time to recap everything that's occurred. So why don't we just highlight something that each of us have loved from the last few weeks in football? Uh, Lockie, why don't you kick us off? Uh, well, I've quite enjoyed having the A-League back, to be honest. It's good to have like football that we can actually go and watch like, physically again. I mean, I didn't get to go watch the United game. When was it, Sunday? Yeah, Sunday. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I hope I can go to the next one, which is victory. So that's a big game in itself, so... I'm just more. I'm just really excited to have the A League back. To be honest, yeah, me too. And I'll, I'll piggyback onto that as well because the thing that I've loved is that it's finally been signed off that the Australian professional leagues will become independent from Football Australia. Mm. So that basically puts all the power uh, for the professional leagues, so the A League, the W League, the Y League, and now even the E League, into the hands of the clubs. So hopefully that'll be the catalyst for a bit more change in our game and we'll see some see some exciting developments like a second division or hopefully promotion and relegation eventually in Australia so that should be exciting to see where that goes Dylan what about you what have you liked I think my break was definitely made better by um just Arsenal in general it's funny how um as soon as we stop the podcast we just start performing well you know <laughs> maybe the podcast is a curse oh, well, I don't know back to usual I will see because you've got a cup game this week, right? Against Newcastle. Yeah, I think that's our next game. Yep. So <laughs> maybe after this game, um, after this episode, rather, <laughs> you might go back to your uh, your lowly ways. Yeah. Well, then we'll definitely know what the problem is from that point onwards. I might just <laughs> retire, put my hand in. Well, there does seem to be a bit of a curse with this. Well, it's a bit of a reverse jinx. Every time Lockie says something on this show, the opposite happens. Well. I said we were going to lose every game, and look, we're second place. Okay. You, also, so, you also said Olivier Giroud was like the worst player in the Premier exactly. League. Exactly, so I gave him a boost. <laughs> oh, boost God. in confidence. Oh, my. Right, okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll dive straight into our predictions for 2021. Welcome back to Studs Up. We're about to dive right into some of our predictions for football in 2021. But before we begin, let me just say that we're going to make these predictions on the assumption that the current COVID situation will not impact the continuation of competitions. So while we'll consider how condensed fixturing or a lack of fans might impact teams, we'll assume that all competitions will continue to run 
Otherwise, our biggest prediction would just be that the coronavirus will shut everything down again. So each of us have come up with three predictions for football in 2021, and we're going to run through them from least likely to most likely to happen. Without any further ado, why don't you take us away with your first prediction, Lockie? Let's start off with a bang with this one. So I've predicted, well, I've been sort of been forced to predict as the least likely, but as a United supporter, I feel that we're going to win the league. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Good start. Okay, well, all right, let me just... Okay, so at this point, we're sitting in second place with a game in hand against Liverpool who have actually just lost to Southampton 1-0 yesterday. Our last loss, unfortunately, was to Arsenal on the 2nd of November, which was 1-0 defeat. So, dude, we were pretty happy with that one. But it's very easy to say that without Bruno, United wouldn't be in the same team they are right now. So the Portuguese has 11 goals, 7 assists so far in the Premier League this season. But many people would just go off and say, well, he's just scoring off penalties. He has scored five penalties this season. But, which I completely understand what, what people are like, coming from. But like, what I'm trying to say is that Bruno's sort of goal-scoring and playmaking ability, like, without that, United could be somewhere like where Arsenal are at the moment without his contribution towards the team. Like, do you guys feel the same way? Like, am I not wrong? I think without him in your side, you'd definitely become a lot worse. You lack a lot of creativity without mm. Bruno and a lot of leadership as well. I mean, I think he brings a lot of passion to, I to your side. I feel that he should be like the captain for the side. Because what does Maguire really bring as a captain? Mm, that's true. Without Bruno, you probably have Jesse Lingard starting, so that's a good start. He's not even on the bench. <laughs> Who? Exactly. Yeah. No, <laughs> he's definitely been good this season. People can say that. Like people can like slate him all they want. Like, oh, you know, he died. He's a diver. He, he, he does penalties. all this. So like, he can, just scores penalties. He's a good player, but, and you can respect. But like, that. you gotta, yeah, you gotta respect that he's a, a world class player at the moment. You know, the whole it's. De Bruyne v Fernandez at the moment. Like, who's going to be the best in the Premier League? De Bruyne. De Bruyne. Fernandez. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> people even come, like talk about that. Or is that just United supporters? <laughs> no, but it's true though. Like, they're two world class attacking mids at the moment. You can't just go well. De Bruyne is way ahead of Bruno. De Bruyne is way ahead of Bruno. Well, that's. Just- <laughs> <laughs> Look, we signed him for how much? 70 mil, and you signed Gilfie for 40 mil. So, who's the real winner? Gilfie Sigurdsson's wallet. Fair enough. <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> no, look, um, I would much rather have Bruno in my team than Gilfie Sigurdsson, and oh, I will never hide that. I think fact. me and Dill were saying before that Dill would take Bruno in front of <laughs> all of his players. Oh, of course. No, no, no. There's no, there's no denying that Bruno's been fantastic for United since he started. In his first first season, it was like thirty four goal contributions mm. or something in like thirty yeah. something games. That's ridiculous. That kind well, of he's got the he's got the fifth most goals in the league at the moment. That's kind and he's of got the sad. most goals as a midfielder. Yeah, right. Oh, that's interesting. 
Mm. Well, moving on from Bruno, what what else? What else do you think? Well, I just <laughs> means that United can win the league. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking? Don't don't start this because we're gonna win the league. <laughs> well, look, as I was saying, Liverpool have just lost, so our next game against Burnley is a must win for United, which I'm pretty sure is this time next week. So it's a must win for United. They need to win that game to get that three points ahead. And then after that, they've got Liverpool. So that's really the true test to see if that actually will be that challenger for the title. I feel that a lot of people do slate Ollie's strategic plan of how he runs the team. I know you, Alex, you do slate him a lot as a very poor manager. But I just feel the way he works off the counter-attack has just been really good this season. And we've seen it against teams like Leeds when we beat them 6-2. How we just scored two goals in three minutes off two errors that Leeds make and they were just steaming off the counter-attack and two quick goals. It's just been really good to see this season. Because I haven't really seen this sort of type of play in quite a while. And it's really good to see we're just performing well. I think my concern with Ollie, right? So I, I acknowledge that he's a great, oh, not great. He's a good counter-attacking coach, and he's a, mm. he's he's a good man manager. He's a very good man manager, and I think well, all the his, players love that's, him. That's his best. That's his best skill. Uh, is his about is his ability to please his players. But I don't know. I'm still not convinced of how flexible he is mm. with his game plan and whether or not he makes the right substitutions at the well, right look, times. I, no like, manager's perfect. And I, I'll come out and hold my hands up and say he's, like, say he's the wrong team selection or the wrong substitutions, the wrong game plan, because he's done it before. We've seen it against Leipzig when he played three at the back and all he needed was a draw. Like he, I understand going for the win's going for the win, but you have to see what's best for the team to get through like for the Champions League. And he ended up losing that game, so... I'll happily hold my hands up and say he made the wrong decision there. Yeah, and that, that's what I'm saying. Like, be- before Ollie took the job at Man United, he'd coached at a pretty low level. Like, he'd failed at Cardiff. He was managing in Norway, which is not a top league. No. And he came in as a ca- caretaker, and he got a good run of run of form off of basically just player management and letting players play how they wanted to play. Mm. So, I mean, I stand by the fact that I think appointing him was a mistake for Manchester United. And I think the only reason, really, that they're so high up the table this season is that everybody is struggling. Oh, 100%. Like, it's, it's well, there's, not, there's it's not like... A, there's literally a four-point gap between first and seventh. Yeah, so it, it's not like I think that Manchester United have been one of the best teams in the Premier League. No. And... That that's my my gripe with this prediction that Man United will win the Premier League is I don't think that they've been anywhere near like they haven't their, their top performance has not been as close to say the top performance of Man City or Liverpool mm. or, or even Chelsea or Leicester really I mean may, maybe maybe closer to Leicester but yeah I mean I'm not convinced that's your prediction Let's just say that let this hypothetically this prediction's right All right 
right. not saying it's going to happen at all. I mean, I'm predicting it, but I'm just saying, let's just say it happens and United win the league. Would your thoughts on Ollie change as a manager or would they stay the same? No, they'd stay the same. Bad managers have won the Premier League in the past. Deal? Yeah, it's hard to kind of hate on Ollie when he's doing, when as a team, well, on the table at least, they're doing this well, being in second, potentially first after the Burnley game. But I, I don't know. I feel like the start of the season, like there were a lot of games where you guys won 3-2, 4-3, and you were down like most games. And I, I think that it's hard to kind of keep that that's, up kind of that's, thing. That's where we sort of thrive off the most, I feel, this season, that we've come down in the first half and we've come back. And the Southampton game was like a perfect example. We're down 2-0 at half time. I just don't... My thing is I'm not sure if that's sustainable... No. And also the fact that I feel like you got a bit lucky to get in those positions anyway to to now be where you are. I guess you could very easily be down in like fifth or sixth if you lost to that Brighton game when Bruno got that penalty in like the 96th minute or whatever, that Southampton mm. comeback, some of those games like that, you got quite lucky. And that it's not it's not the greatest sign. I mean, it's obviously good wins and that, but you don't want to get in that position in the first no. place. So I'm not sure if like Ole can keep or Ole can keep getting those wins kind of thing throughout the season to then get you to win the title. I, I, I just don't see that happening. Like, mm. and, and I'm looking at some of the underlying numbers as well. Like Man United is currently overperforming in terms of expected goals by about five. So you mm. should have scored about five less goals. If you take away penalties as well, like the numbers drop off a bit. Oh yeah. And, and then as well, expected points, you're overperforming by about six. So if you take away the points, you take away those points, extra points that you've gained, then you drop down to six. So, yeah. I mean, this, this is what I was saying before and what kind of what ties in with Dill. You've got very lucky at points mm. in the season and I don't think that's sustainable. And I don't think Ollie's the manager that's able to adapt to those difficult situations without that, that rubber the green going his way. Mm. Look, I understand where you guys are coming from. That's fine. So basically, do you think you're going to, improve or do you think you're going to keep getting lucky i think we'll probably improve we've got this window to really strengthen the lineup now like with the day uh i'm a diallo signings i think either just gone through or it's just about to go through from last window that's not obviously going to help a lot since he's only young and he's only played like literally under an hour this season of football but Look, we do need like those signings to really strengthen the team. But do you think that they're going to make the right signing? I know that the last few have hit, or some of the last few have hit. Like Cavani's been good when he's played. Mm. Bruno's obviously been probably your best signing of like almost the last ten years. Mm. Um, Wambasaka has been fine. Oh, he's been pretty good. Harry Mag- Harry Maguire has been okay. There's some some signings that we've made that we've not needed at all, and Van der Beek. Look, he's a great player, but if Oli doesn't want to use him, then obviously this has come from the like this is a board signing, like 100%. Because if he's not using him, then there's no reason for Oli to go, oh, I want this player. I mean, I think that, that Van der Beek is fine because Pogba's going to leave. Uh, there's... Yeah, but that's, that is true. But, he's, he's not, but when Pogba's not even there, Van der Beek's not there either. My my issue is like Man United have so they've plugged all these holes, they've brought in all these players, but the one glaring hole that they've had for like the last three years is a 
defensive midfielder oh, yeah. and they haven't fixed it. So why would they fix it now? Like what? Mm. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they thought they needed all these other positions first. I feel that with Ollie, that he feels McTominay is fine for that spot. I know your thoughts on McTominay, Alex, but mm. in Ollie's sort of perspective, he thinks that McTominay is probably the best suited for that role at the moment, at least. That also could be just because he's the best they've got available at the moment. Well, you've got McTominay right. and Fred. and Fred, I mean, they've both been fairly decent this season. So, I mean... I mean, ideally, you want Ole, you want Ole to be thinking that McTominay might be the best available now and he's trying yeah. it with Matic and Fred, but then like you hope that in January he just goes out and really targets those positions. Like, There's better options out there, 100%. I just feel with the time at the moment, he will just stick with McTominay and Fred, as well as Matic as those DMs at the at this point in time, and it's then just, maybe next season look for someone else. It's just not for me. That's just not a title challenging midfield. There's you know no... the midfield that Liverpool and City have got compared to that, and it's like no, well, hundred percent. They've got better midfielders than us. But that's that. But that's the difference: is that the midfield can make or break the team. And sure, Bruno can do as much as he, you know, as much as he wants going forward. But if the midfield's breaking down because Matic doesn't have the legs, so he he can still defend, but he doesn't have the legs. Mm. Or McTominay, who's got the legs but can't defend. Like you saw in the Leeds game, McTominay's much better breaking forward from midfield, almost as like a a deeper eight. But he's not he's not a six, which is what United needs. They need yeah. someone to break the lines and break down play. So I don't know, without someone like that to balance the midfield, I don't think that United has enough to seriously challenge. I'm, I, you know, the only the only thing that I can see, right, is if Liverpool take a big drop off, which I don't think they will. Manchester City have got two games at hand over Liverpool as well. As us as well, pretty sure. I think it's just, just the one game over you. But they've, they've been great. Like They had a bit of a rough start, but since then they've been pretty good. Um, and they're, they're underperforming in terms of their underlying stats. So, I don't know. I just... I. I struggle to see this one coming coming through. And I, I feel like it's probably the hottest take that we'll have today. Oh, 100%. Um, That's what I like. I love the hottest takes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> anyway, I think we should move on from this one, unless either of you got anything else you want to add? No. No, I think we've, we've, really, we've covered really, it. We've covered it, yeah. All right. Okay, cool. So, well, I'll... St- dive right into my first one and that is that i think england will win euro 2021 now i put this one down as my least likely to happen because it's going to depend on a number of things going their way i'd say that if the tournament had taken place in june of 2020 when it was originally scheduled then france would have been my outright favorite and I still think that they easily have the best team, both in terms of talent and depth, but they also have the hardest draw with Germany, Portugal, and Hungary in their group. So if France fails to make it out of that group, which I think could very well happen if they get one or two 
uh, lackluster results, it does open up a chance for another country to kind of sweep in and take a win. I'd say that probably ahead of France, England have the most talented attacking options in terms of depth and talent. Uh, so they've got Harry Kane, Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, Jaden Sancho, Jack Grealish, and even guys like Calvert-Lewin and Danny Ings. And I mean, even potentially Jamie Vardy might be making a case to come back into the scene. All vying for that spot or those spots in Gareth Southgate's side. And across the rest of the squad as well, there's plenty of depth in most positions. So my only concern really is whether the fitness of these guys holds up through such a busy club calendar and whether or not they're able to perform at a high level in June without having much of a break from the end of the season. But I'd say that aside from France, England's biggest competitors would probably be Spain, Portugal and Belgium, maybe Italy and the Netherlands as a couple of dark horses. But on their day, on their top form, England definitely have the talent and the drive to beat all these teams. So like I said, a lot of the this kind of depends on whether or not players can maintain fitness, especially with someone like Harry Kane, who's in career best form right now, but often picks up an injury that leaves him out for a few weeks to a few months. It also might depend on whether or not Gareth Southgate can work out how his system is going to work to fit the best players on the pitch and get them all playing well. But I mean, we've seen this team fire up for big tournaments recently, particularly at the 2018 World Cup. So with some fresh faces, some career best form for some players and a more experienced Gareth Southgate, I, I do think that England have what it takes to win the Euros. What do you guys think? I can definitely see it happening. The amount of players that they have to work with. I think we were, we were talking not that long ago about the amount of depth they have in certain positions. Like You were saying striker, they've got a massive amount of depth. Right back, they've got a massive amount of depth in there as well. So, I mean, they've got the players to get them to win it, definitely. It just depends, like you were saying, like, is fitness going to be a big factor when it comes to the Euros? I mean, they definitely got the squad for it and their team or the nation, England, just in general, as of of now, is very competitive for spots. I mean, there's a lot, especially a lot of young talent, 23, that's Definitely putting some competition on the spots of current players in the team. I'm just not... I'm, it's Obviously, you can't rule out it happening because it's definitely a strong possibility. But, uh, yeah, it's obviously definitely a hot take because it's the chance of them winning. They could definitely win, but I do still favour kind of teams like Spain and France, I want to say, over England. Yeah, I'm, I think that's fair as well. I think, say, leaving France out because that's kind of boring. Mm. then maybe look at someone like Belgium. They've got a great attack, but their midfield and defence is ageing a bit. Vertonghen and Alderweireld are a bit older. Witzel, Nangolan, they're a bit older. So maybe it's coming to an end for Belgium's golden generation. Like This is probably their last chance to win something. Mm. I think I kind of like the Netherlands over Belgium at the moment. Yeah, I, I think I, I kind of agree. But at the same time, there's not heaps of depth outside the starting side. Yeah. Which is why I kind of like Italy a little bit more than the Netherlands even as a dark horse kind of team. They've got a lot of firepower up front, a lot of depth in midfield and a pretty solid defense. But yeah, so I think 
maybe Spain is probably the big genuine contender other than France. Mm. They just look they look great at the moment. They've got so much depth, so many talented players. They do like they've been performing well in internationals as well. So yeah, I'm, I look it, it's a it is a contentious one. It's a bit of a hot take, but I think that if things go right for England, then I don't see why they couldn't win um, win the Euros. Mm. Well, they got to they made fourth in the World Cup with relatively the same squad they've got now, and I feel that at the moment most of these players are more informed than they are, or what they were in twenty eighteen. So I feel like could go on to win Euros with the form that they've got now. Well, this is what I was saying just before. So the senior figures in the team, like your Harry Kane's, uh, your Raheem Sterling's, and I mean, I'm sure Pickford will be there and a bunch of other players like that, Kieran Trippier, they'll still be in the squad. Hmm. But there's a lot of new fresh faces that are in the team now It was a very young squad. Yeah, it's very young. Um but there's a lot of fresh faces in the team now that are better than the players that were there at the World Cup. Like Jack Grealish is in the team now. They have better depth in in the attacking lines with Jaden Sancho as well. Calvert-Lewin coming off as an option as that bigger central target player mm. in case you know Harry Kane needs a rest or whatever that they didn't really have um, or, or didn't have to the same level at the World Cup. The midfield's got better depth. Jordan Henderson, Calvin Phillips, Declan Rice, um, even Deli Alley can still do a job. Like there are so many players there now that can do can do a job and do it effectively that they didn't have at the World Cup that I think could make a serious impact for them. The only thing that I'm a little bit like still not convinced about is the defense. Just because, I don't know, I don't trust Harry Maguire. I mean, I love Michael Keane, but is he... I like John Stones. I think he's that guy to... Yeah. You're going to play two centre-backs. I think his form of the last five to six, seven weeks of City, him and... Is it Diaz, is it? The Portuguese centre-back? Yeah. Yeah. I think they conceded, what, two, three goals in the last seven, eight games. Hmm. I guess it just depends on what Gareth Southgate is going to do, whether he's going to play a three or he's going to play a four. Yeah. I mean, he's played a three for so long, but we have seen games where he's adopted the four at the back. And, I mean, then then you can form a pretty solid defense, Ben Chilwell, then Trent, Reese James, Kyle Walker, take your pick. Like, There's so mm. many right backs. I mean, Kyle Walker can even deputise at centre-back if he has to. Yeah. So, oh, I mean, he's played there before. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of options for them, which is which is why I think that they maybe have an edge over some of these other teams or some of these other countries. But then again, they also have the ability to just com- completely capitulate and fall apart in major tournaments. So it'll be interesting to see. But that's my take for the Euros. I think England will win. Right. Well, Dylan, why don't you give us your first prediction? Yeah, so my first prediction is that Villarreal will win the Europa League. 
So Villa are no doubt a great performer this season in the league. They're currently fourth in La Liga with a game in hand uh, over Sociedad, so they can push up to third. Uh, they're also strong performance in their group for the Europa League, finishing top with 13 points, uh, 14 goals scored, five conceded. Their first matchup in the Europa League is against Salzburg. So I think if they can get through their first round relatively unscathed, they can definitely make it far and potentially win the Europa League. Uh, they've got a good manager now under you know, Emre. Uh, I think as of late, their form has been great. I think they went at least double-digit games undefeated before... I want to say last weekend's game. So they've had a great run of games as of late and they've definitely got some top performers in the team such as Danny Parejo and Jared Moreno. Uh, Moreno having nine goals himself in the league so far this season. So if you combine that with some talented young players on their team, including Kubo uh, on line from Real Madrid and Paolo Torres, the centre-back, who's been linked with moves to Real Madrid and even Arsenal with his transfer window coming up. So... If you combine that squad as a whole, I really like what they've got. And I think if they can make a couple of solid signings in January, I think that Villarreal can definitely uh, win the tournament, win the Europa League this season. It's definitely a hot take with uh, other teams in there, including United, Arsenal, Tottenham, Napoli. Oh, let's be honest, we won't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you guys think, um, but I definitely like the Villarreal to at least get to a deep position in the Europa League, if not win it. So, in general, yeah. I don't know what you guys think. There's some, some big teams in uh, in the Europa League this season. Roma's there. They're in great form. AC Milan, obviously, top of Serie A. Sociedad, United, Leicester, Tottenham, Leverkusen, Arsenal. Like The list goes on and on. So, it's going to be an interesting and exciting year, I think. Oh, you know, looking at their matchup against Salzburg. Yeah, I was just saying that. I thought that's a bit of a tough matchup. I ooh, I kind of wouldn't mind. I mean, I think the VRL will go through, but I wouldn't mind putting putting some money on Salzburg to beat them, you know. That's a tough matchup deal. It is, and that's why I kind of hindered that. Um, I think if they can get through that, I, I think that they can definitely get some confidence in that. But I, I do like Villarreal as a squad. I think, like, as I said, their last 10 games or so, they had really good runs on the league. I think, yeah, now they're pushing for third. So, I mean, obviously, it is a very competitive. I think this Europa this year in general has just been very competitive overall in terms of their teams that are in the comp and their form, especially those Prem teams, having Tottenham, Arsenal and United, maybe not Arsenal as much, but... <laughs> uh, and then yeah other teams such as Napoli and Roma especially in Serie A they've been very good um, in their competition so it's very it's definitely a hot take but yeah I don't know well I mean like I know you're joking around with Arsenal but Arsenal didn't lose a game in the group stage from memory so I mean in the Europa League they, they I feel they are a serious threat especially with the form they've got now in the in the Premier League like yeah, you could say they were, they were playing against not very well-known teams in the group stage. But, I mean, still to come out undefeated is still mm. a big achievement in itself. Especially with the players that you were even using. I'm not saying they were bad players at all, but, it's, you know, using all your young talent. It was a there. tournament to basically allow some of our young players to get minutes, especially when 
at the time we were struggling that bad in the prem with our experienced exactly. players. Exactly, so then, and you're using these players now in the prem. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, I was gonna say that's a good thing about at the moment. I guess our test has kind of relied on our academy players to kind of mm. get us out of this hole, and as a result, they're playing some of the best football they've ever played for the club. So yeah, yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of big teams in in the Europa League this season, so it would be really difficult for Villarreal to win it. But I mean. Who knows? There's definitely the possibility there for for it to happen. I think so it definitely helps that like they if they can get through that first matchup, there's a lot of teams that are gonna knock each other out the big teams. I mean Sosha yeah. is playing United in that first yeah. That first matchup, Lou is playing Ajax, Napoli's playing Granada, that's a lot of teams being knocked out. And I think if they can get through that first little little patch and get all right fixtures and they there's definitely a chance for them to at least get to the semi final, yeah. if not the final, I think. Yeah, I think the big it, it's the big thing is who they draw next. Yeah. So if they draw a Man United or if they draw a Napoli, then they might struggle. Yeah. Um. But assuming that they get a good draw, then there's no reason why they can't make it to yeah at least the quarters or the mm. semi. I suppose. I guess that that one remains to be seen. Yeah, it's hard still- to say. I guess until we. There's still until about a month it. and a half until these fixtures or the first first fixture. So mm. there's a lot that can happen between then and now. Mm. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't hate it. I it's don't not hate like the, the biggest hot take that we've said today. <laughs> sure that Alex is a, is a pretty big hot take today. Oh, okay. <laughs> All, right. All right, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were saying something reasonable for a second and then <laughs> kind of backfired, but. Oh, goodness me. Okay, well, speaking about the uh, the Europa League, I might jump in with my second one then because my next prediction, and it's maybe this is a bit hotter than the England to win the Euros one. Maybe not. I think it's a bit more likely. And that is Tottenham Hotspur to win a trophy in 2021. So I've got three words for you. Second season Mourinho. It's a real thing, boys. It's a real thing. And it seems like, once again, everything's going right for him. Tottenham started the season very strongly with almost the whole squad firing on all cylinders. Harry Kane and Hyunmin Son are in career-best form. They've recently become the most prolific strike partnership in Premier League history. And the team have been pretty defensively solid as well. The squad is deep. The squad's talented and everything seems to be going right for Mourinho. Of course, there have been a few hurdles and some poor, poor performances, but that's to be expected with such congested fixtures and nobody's really been um, free from that. Of course, Tottenham is still competing across all four competitions in the Premier League, Europa League and both domestic cups. This morning, they progressed to the AFL Cup final after beating Brentford 2-0 at home. And they have favourable draws in both the FA Cup and the round of 32 in the Europa League. So while I think a genuine title challenge in the Premier League is a step too far for this Spurs side, I do genuinely think that they have the right pieces and the right form to win a trophy this season. Obviously, the EFL Cup is probably their best shot considering they've already qualified for the final, where they'll either face Man City or Man United. But on their day, I think they can easily beat both of these sides given recent results but it'll be interesting to see whether the legend that is second season Mourinho can continue 
It's a bit spicy. What do you guys think? Well, like you were saying, I think they're probably going to win the EFL Cup because they've already qualified for the final, like you said. And it just depends who they face. So I just feel they'll probably win the EFL Cup. Europa League, I don't know. They've got a probably. I think they've got a quite easy matchup for the first game, from memory. Yeah, they've drawn uh, Wolfsburger, who I think are from Austria. Yeah. So I mean, could be wrong. I feel that most likely go through this, unless it's an absolute miracle. They'll somehow win that game, but I feel that Tottenham will probably go through. But I don't know if like like we were saying before, with like the amount of teams in there, like. Could they win the Europa League? I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on um, on the uh, on squad fitness, right? So Harry Kane and Hyunmin Son obviously have to stay fit. The midfielders need to stay fit, and then they need guys like Gareth Bale to come back in um, from injury and make an impact. So I don't know. I'm still really hot on this Tottenham team, and yeah, I, I think the EFL Cup is obviously the best option, but. Europa League, maybe not out of their grasp, considering they made the Champions League final a couple of seasons ago. It's, oh, obviously, it's a new manager and a slightly different team, but there's plenty of pieces there that still have that winning experience and they'll have learnt from that as well. I, I don't know. I just think everything's falling in place. Mm. What do you think, Dylan? It probably pains you a little bit to talk about <laughs> Tottenham winning something winning trophy. <laughs> when, Ars- when Arsenal aren't going to win anything. Yeah, look, uh, I'm not overly pleased about Tottenham winning something, but I don't hate them as much as I hate United. So that, that's another topic, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. I think that they can win something. Uh, I, I'm not even sure. I mean, obviously they're in the the cup final, league cup final, but I'm not even sure that. Like, I think City will probably beat them if they, as, oh, as long as City get through to being United, I think that they can definitely. Why are you assuming that City's just going to win? Because Man City's form's been absolutely impeccable the last few weeks, even months really. Like, yeah, but like I said before, the counter attack always wins. Does it though? Well, clearly because we're sitting second. Does it always win? <laughs> you lost to Arsenal, mate. Come on. Yeah, I mean, no counter attack when you can't score. Yeah. <laughs> Calm down. You're you're sitting in. I I think yeah, I, I think I agree with you though. If Man City make the final, then I think that. Man City will win the EFL Cup. I think Europa League is the best bet of winning a trophy, I think. Or potentially even the FA Cup. I mean... I think the FA Cup as well, but I always still think about the fact that you've got all those other big English teams in that comp, whereas at least the Europa League, you've got Liverpool and the cities and that in the Champions League. So I feel with, like if, with everyone's form at the moment, you just don't know what's going to happen in the FA Cup. Like Liverpool not in the greatest form at the moment. But when you rotate with... um when you rotate with younger players and, and stuff, the, the squad picks up a little bit. It's a bit, mm. like, a bit like Arsenal in the Europa League, really. Mm. Yeah. Get some turnover, and then those players that are kind of struggling for fitness. I think that Liverpool just need to get some of their players back, especially the defence, once they can get that kind of back and they can yeah get some mm. minutes kind of out of these younger players in the FA Cup or earlier rounds the FA Cup and that, then they can give breaks to players like Fabinho and that who have been playing in the in the defence like for the whole season because they've had injuries all throughout really. So Yeah. Once they can sort that sort of aspect out, I guess, then the squad turnover will be a lot better. Though these older players like Henderson and that can get more fitness and then that they should start performing a bit better because 
I, I still think that, yeah, uh, Tottenham are going to struggle to win kind of those other comps compared to the Europa League, I guess. Even with all these other hard teams and other leagues being in the Europa League, I think Spurs have definitely got the Cavaliers, like you said, they made the Champions League final not long ago, so they've definitely got the Cavaliers mm. to win the tournament, I think. Yeah, interesting. Well, that, I mean, like I said, I'm really hot on Tottenham. I think that they've they've put together a good team. Like they've rebuilt and refreshed enough, but maintained enough of their core that it's a strong side. Yeah, so that that's my take. Lockie, why don't you give us your second take then? Well, this one's less spicy. I'm going to be completely honest. Um, but I've predicted that Mbappe was going to leave PSG next season. So at least lately I'm re- reading a lot of rumours that Mbappe will, is, is, might, is considering leaving PSG. You know, a handful of clubs are interested in him, like the likes of Madrid and Liverpool have just joined the race as well. Um, so, well, his market value is around 180 million euros. I think he signed for PSG for 140 million euros. So, um, I think he'll probably go beyond 200 or whatever. But um, with like you know, ever since joining PSG from Monaco, he scored 104 goals, had 57 assists, and 142 appearances. So, like, you can obviously see why people like Madrid and Liverpool are trying to go for him because he's such a prolific goal scorer as well as he gets those handy assists when you need them. But, um, like, this season so far, he's got 12 goals and four assists and 13 appearances, which is not every single... He hasn't played every single game this season. And he's overperforming in both goals and assists by 1.44 in both stats. So, would do you guys see him leaving next season, or like, if you do, where would you see him going, or would you rather where where would you rather see him going? I think he's going to Real Madrid. Yeah, if he was going to leave, I think Real Madrid's the one team I see him going to. They've, I mean, there's pretty wide reports that Real Madrid have been saving a certain amount of money. They've been putting mm. a certain amount of money aside to try and get Mbappe, um, and I think that that will be at the end of this current season. So in the next Mm. summer transfer or European summer transfer window. But that being said, if PSG win the Champions League, then he could stay. Yeah. In the sense that they might strengthen the team and go again. Well, from the reports that I've been seeing, that PSG are trying to re-sign Neymar and... Mbappe to new contracts because Mbappe runs out his contract June next year. Mm. So they're trying to re-sign him before he leaves. I don't really feel that even with a contract left, he would... Obviously, I think his payment, uh, his um, market value would go down, but it would still be very expensive for a player of his calibre. Oh, for sure. He'll still easily be the most expensive player of yeah. all time. Like, he, if, if he goes for under 250 million euros, mm. I'd be surprised because Neymar was 220 yeah. million euros, I think. Mm. Something like that. So I'd be surprised if he went for less than that. But what I was going to say was maybe winning the Champions League with PSG might be the catalyst for him to say, okay, 
I've done everything I can do here now. It's time for me to go to Real Madrid, which mm. is by all accounts his dream club and yeah. his dream destination. So I do think that this one could very well happen. Mm. Um, well, I was just going to add on top that at the moment, Real Madrid have got that. I've got Benzema up front, who's you know he's a, he's a great striker this season. Like he's got eight goals and five assists this season. But people have got to remember, like, as, as he might have this many goals and this many assists in the season, but he's 33 now. So, like, you know, he's, he's going to start running out of gas to be starting for the likes of Madrid. You know, like, he's still, he's still a great player. Don't get me like, I'm not saying he's, he's bad and all. But, you know, he, I think in the later stages of his career now, he can be that player that comes off the bench for Mbappe or Mbappe moves to a different position or whatever and he can you know just score off coming off the bench if you know what I mean like just that sort of prolific striker to come off the bench like a Cavani that's a bit biased but I mean like well this was the thing right (laughs) (laughs) we're going off a little bit of a tangent but if Real Madrid they needed someone why why did they let Cavani go to Man United. They wanted him, but they didn't. They just couldn't secure him. It's ridiculous. Mm. But anyway, yeah, I think that the the most likely destination, or really the only destination for Mbappe, is Real Madrid. They're the only club that will have anywhere near the amount of money to be able to sign him. They're the only mm. club that probably has the prestige. I don't think any of the Premier League clubs will really be able to afford him. Um. And I, I think this one has a pretty good chance of happening. Mm. I don't know wh- what you think, Dylan. Yeah, I think obviously Real Madrid have had, I want to say, succession plans to Benzema kind of thing with Mariano and Jov- uh, Luka Jovic kind of thing. But I think deep down they've always wanted to get Mbappe as that one guy that to replace Benzema and kind of be that guy that can be a club man for them for the next, say, five to ten years or something, potentially. Uh, yeah. Um, but if he doesn't leave, uh, if he does leave PSG, I see Rummage is the only team he's going to. I don't see, like Alex, I don't see any of the Prem clubs being able to afford no. him. And obviously his dream club is Real Madrid. So, um, yeah, uh, I think Mbappe... We'll either stay at PSG, depending on what happens with Neymar and that whole contract situation, depending on what happens with now Poch, obviously being manager, he might make some signings that kind of convince yeah. otherwise Mbappe to stay. But if he does leave, I only see him going to Real Madrid and that's it. Mm. I think that's probably maybe the other factor, like you were saying that, with Poch now being there, that might convince him to stay because it's a new manager, it's a new style. He's going to bring in his own players. So I, I mean that that could convince him to stay, but I think, like we're saying, I think it's more likely that he will go to Madrid at the start of next season. Mm. Okay, well I think we've kind of summarised that one pretty well, and I think we're in agreement that it could happen. It's not not that spicy, to be honest. No. So Dylan, why don't you give us your second prediction? My second prediction is that Frank Lampard will get sacked before the end of the season. So, oh, oh, oh. Jesus. yeah, it's spicy. That's, 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 that was a bit spicy. 
That's more spicy in the moment. But I, I kind of, I think at this current stage where we are now, I see this one ha- being more likely to happen ahead of Villarreal winning the Europa League. I think there's no doubt that Frank Lampard made a good first impression when he uh, became Chelsea manager. Um, however, as of late, things are kind of falling off the rails for Frank Lampard and his team. Uh, Chelsea have lost the Wolves. Struggling Arsenal, obviously, at the time, giving us our first win in about seven to eight games, <laughs> I want to say. Uh, and as of the weekend, they obviously had a loss of City. Uh, their big signings have struggled as of the last month or two, including Kai Havertz and in particular Timo Werner. I think he's gone about nine or ten games, I want to say, without scoring now. Something like that, yeah. And when you're relying on Giroud as your so-called third striker to kind of carry the load when you got someone like Timo who brought in Kai Havertz who brought in for that much money even Chilwell kind of been struggling as of late a little bit I think uh, Chelsea being currently ninth in the Prem and having spent that much money in that transfer window it, it looks like that Lampard may potentially not be manager for that much longer depending on what happens over the next few results um, there have been rumours that Chelsea owner uh Roman uh, Abram- Abramovich, is it? Wants to get rid of Frank Lampard uh, as their manager. Uh, Frank Lampard's now the new favourite to be the next manager, sacked ahead of Mikel Arteta, according to multiple sources. So with rumours even stating that Chelsea could be looking at trying to poach someone like Brennan Rodgers from Leicester, I don't see that happening. But the fact that they're already looking at replacements uh, isn't a good sign for Frank Lampard. And I don't know what you guys think, but I think it's obviously dependent on results in the next few weeks and what he can get out of the squad in this kind of tough period. Obviously, Mikel had that tough period and he got through it. So I don't know what you guys think about this take, but I think it could, depending on results, obviously, it could be a could be Frank Lampard out. It is door. only halfway through the season, and like you're saying, like Mikel had that turnaround. So this could just be one of the bad patches that they're going through, and they might turn it around near the end of the season. Just. The- this bad patch, though, is like seven games. They've won one game in like the last seven games in all competitions or something. Look, it's a pretty bad patch. I'm going to be pretty honest. It's just, it's just interesting that this has happened because before they lost to Everton, they won or they were unbeaten in like 17 games or something. Yeah, they were on a really good run. And since then, they've been very, very poor. So I think, it's a, again, maybe is it just a, the game itself has just put their confidence down? I think I think maybe it's just one of those things where Frank is still a little bit inexperienced as a manager, and he's maybe unsure how to correctly motivate his players, or doesn't know how to work out. I don't know whether he still really knows his system, which I think is yeah. is the big problem here, because like you were saying, he's got these players, he's got these high profile players, and they're not clicking. So I don't know whether that's because they haven't adapted to the game, or what I think is more likely is that Frank just doesn't know how to how to manage that caliber caliber of player, and I think if you had somebody else come in, you had you know, a, a master tactician like a Guardiola or a, a Pochettino come in, then these players might start to 
to kick into gear a little bit more. So, I mean, I kind of agree. I think it's still a pretty hot take, but I kind of agree that if Lampard can't turn this around, then his job might be in danger. Yeah, obviously it's like a lot like you said and what I said earlier about Arteta, how he's kind of turned it around. I think that if you give him a bit more time and then he kind of proves his worth, I guess, as manager and he can turn some good results results and get the best out of some players that have kind of been struggling a bit or he can change some system, his system up a little bit depending on what that is because we're not really sure what that is at this, um, at I this feel, stage. I feel that um, like with... The boards, like for multiple clubs nowadays, are just trying to stick with one manager instead of just going one season. Oh, you're not performing well. We'll bring in someone else. Oh, you're not performing well. We'll bring someone else. Because then players are going to have to get used to new systems, new. Like, I think Chelsea's been one of the worst teams for that. Yeah, and yeah. Like they've, uh, they've brought in so many managers in the last three. And four that's years. probably the problem. Like, you got someone like. I think Arsenal was bored. He's even going around saying, we just want to stick with Arteta instead of just going through a bunch of new managers Mm -hmm. at the moment and just stick with one solid manager. And obviously at the moment it's working because you're you're turning it around and his system's sort of finally coming in to what it wants to be. Well, I think this is the thing with Chelsea, right? And especially since Roman Abramovich uh, has been at the club, this system works for them where they hire someone, have success, lose success, fire, hire, have success, lose it. Like they've, uh, they've gone through these periods for quite a while. Like mm. it, it just seems to work for them for some reason. Yeah. They, they win and then they start losing. They sack the coach. They bring in someone else. Um, Maybe now it's not it's not going to quite work out for them. I mean I think they just gotta try and go for some sustained success. I think yeah. it's not it's not good. Obviously you want, it's good winning the league and that, but then when you see the manager get sacked the season after, like that massive fall off and then that happens, you kinda of just gotta push through it and then because it's not it's it's very hard to go to reach here that success again unless you you re, uh, I guess, restock up the squad. There's funds put in place. Like you're starting to play with some younger players, like exploring new players from the academy, that sort of stuff. And they kind of Chelsea kind of get to a stalemate, and then they, then they don't know what to do other than sack the manager, and then they bring someone else, and they kind of change it up a bit with their own style, and then that kind of works, and then the same thing happens again. So it's like you just got to kind of push through it, I think, and kind of mm. stick with it, but. I think, I think he's going to stick with a manager that like the players actually love to be around. I think you know one I mean? of the, the, the kind of damning statistics for Frank Lampard is that he has the win, the lowest win percentage of any full-time Chelsea manager since Andre Villas-Boas in 2012, 11, 12. Mm. Like he's managed 79 uh, league games, I think it's league games for Chelsea. Might be all competitions. I'm not sure. One forty one, drawn seventeen, lost twenty one. Like that's not a great, not a great percentage um, for a team that really should be competing for the Premier League title and the Champions League title 
every year almost. Mm. Especially the, the squad they've got. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it's a great squad. They definitely like targeted the positions they needed, and I, I don't know. Yeah, it's like, and then they've gone kind of gone back to players that were, were, people thought were done or they were going to sell in that last period. I mean, a lot of people thought that Giroud was kind of done and he's kind of come out and helped them a bit, considering that Werner struggled that bad. And, but I guess Chelsea fans didn't think he would come to that point of yeah. getting someone like that to kind of get them out of a hole, I guess, like, in terms of their attack. I mean, Tammy's been a bit consistent this season. They've got, obviously, I think Ziyech has been the most consistent signing that they've had, but then he's had now been injured for the last however many weeks. So it's like... Yeah. Uh, I... <laughs> I'm not sure. It's it's a bit of bit of a concern for Chelsea. Um, mm. And I don't know. I want to see Frank Lampard stay and do well. Not that I particularly like Chelsea as a club, but I want to see Frank Lampard do well. Mm. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not going to work out for him. I mean, he's been yeah. in the job for under two years. That's about... The, the shelf life for a Chelsea manager, really. Sarri was there for under a year. Antonio Conte was there for just over two years. And Jose Mourinho, last time he was there, was there for about two and a half years, something like that. So he's getting to that point now where it's if he doesn't start winning, his job might actually be in trouble. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It may be a bit contentious. I'm sure any Chelsea fans out there will have a strong opinion one way or the other. Um, but yeah, I think I think that we should uh, move on from this one now. Unless you have anything else, either of you, that you'd like to add to it? No, I think we've really no. covered that. No. All right. That's cool. Well, uh, Lockie, why don't you hit us with your last prediction? Continuing on with, not really, I'm not saying Chelsea's a poor team and all, just but with poor sort of performances and all, I predicted that Valencia is going to get relegated from the La Liga this season. Oh, interesting. Go on. So, I think as we've sort of talked about before, that Valencia this season have been really poor this season with the results that they're getting. They're currently sitting in 17th on the La Liga, which is... Let me just get this up so I don't get this wrong. Well, they're joined with 18th in the moment and only four points off the bottom spot. So, well, this season they've got three wins, seven draws, seven losses, which is obviously not a great, um, not great results in there. Um, they've also conceded 25 goals. This season, which is um, the third most goals conceded in the league, but like sort of in a in more sort of positive note for them, they've also scored twenty three goals, which is more than teams like Sevilla and Villarreal this season, who are sitting in the top six at the moment. So they might be sitting in seventeenth, but they're scoring goals. So obviously they're lacking in defensive players this season. Um, well, Valencia haven't won a league game since the 9th of November, which is when they beat Madrid or Real Madrid 
And since then, they've picked up three losses and five draws. But um, looking at all their results this season, there is a constant trend where they're conceding two goals per game. And like one reason which probably doesn't help their situation is the fact that Sillison has been injured since the, no- since the 7th of November with a muscle injury. Um, even though he hasn't actually started the game this season, so, I mean, that doesn't really help either. But um, Huame, I think that's how you pronounce his game- name, is their main keeper at the moment. And this season, he's only kept two clean sheets in 17 games that he's actually started. So, well, he's averaging around 3.47 saves per 90. And he's saved, and one of them was a penalty. So, I mean, they're not performing well, like, but I don't know. I just feel that the, then they might get relegated this season. I don't know what your guys' thoughts on that, but I think it's just the defence that's really not helping their case of trying to stay up. Mm. I don't know. I think that, yeah, defensively, they've obviously struggled. They can definitely score goals. Yeah, that, that I think mean, that might be what saves them their ability to score goals. They've got... Forgot how good their defence actually looks on paper, I guess. I don't know. Maybe they're struggling to kind of get cohesion. Um, and obviously, they're down, a bit down on confidence and form in that because they've got players like Gabriel, Jose Gaia, um, Sillison in there. I mean, these players are, have been proven at other clubs and mm. well, at, at that level in the league to be good players. So I don't know why. They're struggling so bad. Um, it seems like their attacks kind of been saving them a lot of games, potentially for the points they've got so far. So I don't know. I think that Valencia, they've obviously been struggling in it. I, I think that they might, might, they might be right. If they can get a good run of run of games, maybe get a win or two, I think that they've mm. probably got a bit more than what other teams have got around them to kind of stay up. But Yeah, I think I probably agree with that. I mean... They're not in great form, obviously, this season. They've had a lot of draws. I mean, seven, yeah, seven draws, seven losses. If some of those draws turned into wins, they'd be looking a lot better than they are. But again, they're only they're only four points off tenth. So, well, by the same token, they're four points from the bottom of the table as well, I yeah. suppose. But I don't know. We spoke about it in one of our first podcasts. La Liga is an interesting league to watch this season. There's a lot lot of different teams that are overperforming, a lot of teams that are underperforming as well. So, I mean, I kind of agree with Dylan. I think that their attack and probably their midfield will bail them out. Mm. I don't think that they're worse than any of the teams that are in the relegation zone now. Like They're better than Elche. They're better than Osasuna. They're better than Huesca as well. And they're probably better than a couple of teams that are above them as well, I'd say. I think it's just one of those things where something's not clicking at the club. Obviously, we spoke about it a few weeks ago. The club's a mess. The ownership is a mess. And the relationship between the board and the manager is not great. But I think that they'll probably be fine. If they got relegated, I'd be shocked, put it that way. Right. But if things don't start going their way, then they're definitely in danger because they have con- they've conceded, you know, almost 
as many goals as the some of the teams in the bottom. So, yeah, I think that their attack will bail them out, but it, it, it is a little bit concerning for them, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Look, it, they probably, if they do change their form, they probably will stay up. But I just feel that, like, yeah, they've got a good attack and they've got that good midfield that's really banging them out at the moment. But that defence is just, like Dill was saying, something's just not clicking with the defence to really cohere with each other. And conceding 25 goals is not the best look, especially when you've scored 23. Mm. It's interesting what's going on there. I think that a lot of games have had to play weaker defences than what they have on paper. Like They haven't actually had the players that they should have available all at the same time. So one might step in, one might step out kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I'm not, not sure, to be honest. There's definitely potential there for them to go down, but I think they'll be fine. Hmm. Right. Well, my last prediction for football in 2021 is that a team not named Juventus will win Serie A. So this is a bit of a strange one because I'm maybe not as confident that this will happen as my first two predictions, but I think it's the most likely to happen, which is why I put it ahead of the other two. So basically, Serie A this season has been an absolute storm. Gone are the days of those tightly contested matches separated by leaks in solid defences. Serie A this season has exploded with goals with an average of 3.17 goals per game being scored, putting the Italian league on top of the big five European leagues. So at the time of recording, AC Milan sit atop of the Serie A table with 37 points from 15 matches and remain the only team in Europe's big five leagues to stay undefeated. Inter are in second on 36 points, Roma in third on 30, and Napoli in fourth on 28 points while perennial champions and European giants Juventus sit in fifth on 27 points. So while Juve have only lost one game, they've also drawn six, meaning that they've failed to win in 50% of their games so far this season. While it seems like Perlo is setting up a very pragmatic and functional side, it seems like there are still some issues that he's trying to work out. So Cristiano Ronaldo leads the league in goals, though, with 14 scored to date. But the next highest in the Juventus squad is Alvaro Morata with four. So those two account for well over 50% of the leagues of Juventus's league goals this season. So on the other hand, teams like Milan and Inter have multiple players on or edging double digits in goals with a more free-flowing scoring through the squad. Defensively, Juve have been fine conceding around one goal a game, but for a side that's dominated their domestic league and has historically been a defensive powerhouse, numbers probably a little bit higher than you'd expect. Look, we're almost halfway through the Serie A season. Juventus are already on ten. Uh, sorry, are already ten points adrift of Milan, and I'm sure Milan will have a little bit of a drop off, and it's unlikely that they'll remain undefeated. But the distance between the two teams is pretty significant when you consider the strength of the other teams around the top of the table, like Inter, who've, although they've been a little bit shaky, still been able to grind out results, or Roma, 
who've seen something of a renaissance under Paolo Fonseca. It does seem, though, like it's time for somebody to finally dethrone Juventus and take the Serie A crown. What do you guys think? It's definitely possible that they won't win. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think that Juve won't win this year. I think that... Well, they're 10 points off first. I, I think that, yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I can't say who's going to win. I can't say the AC is going to win necessarily just because they're top. But I like some of those other teams in there a bit more in their consistency at the moment, at least to get the wins that Juve aren't getting. Um, especially Inter. I really like Inter at the moment. I think they had a six-two win on the weekend or the last game in Serie A. So yeah, yeah. I, I, Juventus is a weird one. I, 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 obviously, they're not doing bad if they've got what one loss? Did you say? I think so. Yeah, they're not they're not performing poorly necessarily. They're just yeah, they're just not getting the right results. Yeah, they're not they're not turning those few draws into wins to kind of mm-hmm. get back up to where they used to in the last or well, how many ever years they've won the league. So yeah, it's definitely um, definitely a possibility that they won't win this year. That's for sure. Uh well. I think like you were saying, Alex, I just need that other, just another goal scorer in their squad. Because like you're saying, like Ronaldo has 14 goals this season and after that is Morata with four. So like, obviously that doesn't help with their situation with getting those, um, turning those draws into wins. So they obviously just need some other goal scorer to help them out. I'm not sure if like, if, they should go and sign someone or is it just someone in the team that needs to sort of like not necessarily man up a bit, but just sort of like take that role as that goal, another goal scorer. That could be Murata, like, but They've got plenty of players in the squad that yeah. have the talent to be able to do it. I mean, they've still got like Murata. They've still got Dybala. They've got uh, Dejan Kulisevsky who can score. Um, like there's plenty of players in this team who should be able to score, but there's something not right in Perlo's system, uh, which means that they're just not. I don't know whether the focus. Oh, I can't lie; I haven't watched a whole heap of Juventus this season, but yeah. I don't know if there's something in Perlo's system that means that all of the uh, the players directed towards Ronaldo. But that's probably not the best way to approach it if that's the case. Because at the moment, they're struggling to win games. The scoring is fine. They're still scoring goals, but they're struggling to win games because there's not enough um, dynamism on the pitch, I suppose. Mm. Mm. I, I, I think that, yeah, this year is probably the season that Juventus don't win Serie A. For the first time since... Um... Well, from what I'm reading here, 2011, 2012. Yeah, it's a long time. They they won eight eight in a row, nine in a row. So, I mean, that's why I said at the start that I'm not as confident because, you know, Juventus could just flick that switch and then go and dominate the rest of the season, go unbeaten. Um, But as it stands, the way things are going, I think that it is, of the three of my predictions, it's the most most likely to happen. 
thing like you're saying, like they've definitely got the squad to flick that switch and turn it around. But you know, they've it's just that goal scoring that's really hurting them. And I mean, they've got big games coming up. Um, or at least this week they've got a big game coming up. So I mean, if they get a win this weekend, this might it might be that flick that like they just flick the switch and they've just turned around. Yeah. I think you're going to talk about that game a little bit later. So why don't we move on from this prediction now and we come to our last prediction. Dylan, why don't you hit us with it? So my last prediction, or you could say hot take necessarily, is uh, Sergio Ramos will leave Real Madrid uh, and most likely will join PSG. So Sergio Ramos has been a warrior for Real Madrid, helping them win five league titles and four Champions Leagues in the last 13 years. He's no doubt a club and game legend. However, is his time up at Real Madrid? Potentially. Uh, It has been rumoured that Ramos has had a contract put forward by Real Madrid for an extension and he has kindly declined it, looking to potentially move on from his long period at the Spanish Giants and looking to take his, uh, his talent, I guess, to a new challenge. Uh, as of even the last few weeks, there have been teams linked with him, including Man City and even Man United, which is probably no surprise. But I believe he will take his talents along to PSG to work with new manager Pochettino. Uh, I also think that Pochettino will be heavily backed to bring in multiple other big signings, uh, even this transfer window or the uh, summer transfer window coming up. To get the level that uh, Poch wants to be able to compete uh, in not only league one but in particular the Champions League um, I can see PSG being heavy pushes for other players such as Dele Alli as an example obviously Poch being a former Spurs manager and Dele Alli kind of being out of favour at Tottenham I can see that happening and obviously there's a chance that PSG could be in for someone like Messi if he decides to leave so what do you guys think will happen to PSG and will they go out and try and get players such as Ramos and potentially Messi I mean obviously with Poch being there now they're going to Back him, and he probably wants a lot of new ch- uh, new signings, big turnover. Uh, obviously, there's we talked earlier about Mbappe potentially leaving, but there could be a chance you don't know of them getting someone like Ramos or even even potentially exploring the idea of Mbappe, Neymar, and Messi as a front three, which would be insane if that end up happening in the, in the next year or so. But I don't know what you guys think about this prediction. But I mean, surely if Mbappe, sorry, surely if Messi comes in, Mbappe leaves, right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. There's no way they're going to have both of them. How do they balance that on their... I mean, they've got money, but how do they balance that with financial fair play in terms of their wage budget? I mean... There's no way one of them's going to take a pay cut. I'm not sure. And, okay, so going back to Sergio Ramos, because that's the main point here. Um... I kind of feel like he could leave, but I also am weird thinking about it. Mm. Like, I, I don't... Mm. It'd be a very weird thing to see him just in not shirt. in... Yeah, in another shirt. Yeah. Mm. It'd be a bit strange for me. But it could happen, I suppose, if Zidane wants to kind of turn over his squad a little bit more. I, I suppose if the right offer comes in, then... Yeah, it could happen. I think that people forget. I mean, obviously, he's been there a long time. And you can you just kind of assume that he'd just stay there for his career, but he's actually quite 
quite old now. Mm. Um, and obviously, this last contract extension, he uh, I think it's a high possibility he could stay, but there's obviously also the chance that he could leave. And I think that PSG would be the most likely destination if he does leave or does decide to leave. It could be mm. a thing where he just declines it because he wants more money. I doubt that's probably the reason, but... I mean, oh, you obviously look at what, what's happening with Messi. It's the same kind of thing. They've, been, they've both been at the, the clubs for a long time. And uh, clearly Messi's potentially exploring options as well. So I don't see why Ramos isn't doing the same thing, I guess. It's obviously weird to think about. but Maybe it's it also to think about de- for both players. Maybe mm. it also depends on what happens with Cristiano Ronaldo. Like, mm. Because there's been a lot of talk that he's going to leave Juventus potentially either at the end of this season or next season, whenever his contract runs out. Yeah. Um, so if he stays at Juventus, maybe Ramos could go and rejoin him. Yeah, I, I could see him. I could see him going to Juventus. Yeah. I don't really see him moving to a Premier League team. No. Yeah. I know that. Yeah, like you said, he's been linked with Manchester United. Uh, I've seen links with Manchester City. Um, but I don't really see that happening. So I think. He'll probably go to PSG or Juventus. But, mm. yeah, I'm not sure. It, this one could happen. It might not happen. Yeah, I think that there's definitely a big group of players who become a free agent at the end of the season mm. and they're getting the contracts looked at now. But there's a big crop of players who could look to explore new teams, I guess, with their contracts expiring. And I wouldn't be surprised if this next transfer window coming after the January one could be quite big in terms of off-season moves and that. Yeah, it, it would be interesting to see what happens. I kind of agree. I think there'll be a lot of movement after the, uh, the end of this season. Mm. Real Madrid might want to... Well, I, I said earlier that Power Torres from Villarreal, Real Madrid were looking at him. So they're obviously keen on getting someone... That might be the other factor that kind of contributes to it. Real Madrid getting some of these Spanish centre-backs that they've kind of been looking at, the scouting in January and um, in the next few weeks or so, then that might have a big influence on what Ramos decides to do, I guess, depending on whether he stays or for another year or so or whether he wants to take his service somewhere else, I guess. So. Mm, yeah, that's true. Okay, well, those are our predictions for football in 2021. Um, I think we've done a pretty good job there with, uh, with some with some hot takes, some pretty contentious issues, um, and I'm fully prepared for all of us to be embarrassed at the end of the year. Yep. So we're going to take another quick break, and then we'll come back and round out the show. Welcome back to Studs Up. Well, before we go... Have you guys got any games you'll be keeping an eye on this weekend? Yeah, well, my first game I'm keeping an eye on this weekend will be Roma versus Inter. Uh, Inter currently second, Roma third, I want to say, because AC are top, obviously. Uh, This is a big game. I think Inter's form has been great. Roma's been pretty good as well. But I kind of like Inter to win this. Uh, Obviously, we were talking about before, Juventus kind of struggling. It's important that Teams kind of win these games and then they can push themselves further away from Juventus, I guess, in terms of points. Um, so that's one of the games I'll be watching. Uh, the other game I'll be watching will be Villa versus Liverpool in the FA Cup. And that is on Saturday at 6.15 in the morning. 
Uh, Villa, obviously Villa have been pretty good in the Premier League this season, uh, especially as of late. They've been quite consistent. Uh, Liverpool obviously had that little hiccup, but you know, a Liverpool that they've been thereabouts the last few years and they're obviously quite a quite a good squad overall. So this should be quite a good game depending on how heavy Villa go in terms of their youth or rotation in terms of the squad. But regardless, I think mean, this should be one of the best matchups on paper for the FA Cup games coming up this weekend. So Yeah, awesome. Oh, thanks for that, Dill. Uh Lockie, how about you? What do you what will you be watching this week? Uh well we were talking about before with um the big matchup for Juventus. So I'll be I was gonna put down AC Milan versus Juventus, which is actually tomorrow at six six fifteen. Um it's a big game obviously for Juventus. If they do win, I think we'll say they might flick the switch and just change their form around. But I think if they if Milan come out and win this, they might go on to uh be serious contenders for the title and Juventus will slowly slip away. Um, and the other game I was paying attention this week to was um, Sevilla and Real Sociedad, which is on at Saturday, 11.30. Um, you know, Sociedad sitting in third at the moment, sitting pretty comfortable and Sevilla are currently in um, sixth place at the moment. So, I mean... There's only three point difference between the two teams that could really decide, you know, who's gonna like could Sevilla push towards that Champions League sort of spot again, or can Rio Sociedad, you know, make it more comfortable for them? So that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, awesome. Well, the first game that I'll be keeping an eye on, I've got a bit of a double header here. So the first game is RB Leipzig v Dortmund in the Bundesliga. That game's on Sunday morning at 4 a.m. And I reckon that this is going to be quite a thrilling game. Um, obviously, Dortmund, a few weeks ago, sacked their manager, Lucien Faber. But since then, they've been okay. So this is a second versus fourth matchup in the Bundesliga. I think it's going to be quite exciting. And then the second game, pretty much straight after that, Sunday morning, 6.30 a.m. in the in Ligue 1, is Rennes v. Lyon. So this is first v. fourth, I'm going to say. Um, again, two pretty solid teams this season, performing pretty well, and I think it'll be an exciting matchup. So a couple of... Big games in there, especially we are talking about uh, the Serie A earlier in the episode. Two very important games. Top of the table clashes, basically. So it'll be interesting to see how those go. But that's just about all we have time for on today's episode of Studs Up. If you've enjoyed the show, then please make sure you hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. While you're at it, why don't you pass the pod on to your friends and family or anyone you think might also enjoy the show, really. We're streaming on all major podcasting apps, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, so there's really no excuse. You can follow us on Facebook at Studs Up Football Show and on Instagram at Studs Up Media. We really appreciate all your support to help us grow. All that's left me to do now is say thank you to Lachlan Woodley. Cheers. And to Dylan Rowe. Thank you. I've been Alex Burrow. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of Studs Up. 